yeah. My brother was there at a time where somebody once somehow at the liquor store thought he was James Winters and gave him a half gallon of Tanqueray because he thought he was James Winters. And it blew our mind that anybody would care that much about James Winters. Like you remember um you remember Andre Woolrich? Yeah, yeah, that was my man. That was my, my man. Okay, my brother was in a rap group with him. <laughs> yeah, serious. Like my brother used to do the beats. All right, but let's get started, man. This is crazy, man. This is Joining us now on Pushing Through, a man uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, a man that na his name means warrior, a man that's gone from the Morning Jones to the Evening Jones. He's been all over ESPN. He's been around the horn. He's been on high noon. He's been everywhere. And uh, he's luckily going to join us on the show today. He's a Durham, North Carolina legend in my mind. It is, of course, <laughs> Bomani Jones. Bomani, welcome to Pushing Through. Hey, man, appreciate it. By the way, I got to throw it out. I, like, born in Atlanta, I did grow up in Houston, though. I can, I always have to <laughs> shout out Houston whenever required uh, in these moments. But I'm glad to be on here. No, we're happy to have you, Bomani, and uh, wild times right now. And uh, you're at ESPN, and obviously you are the, the voice right now. You're talking about a lot of different topics. I'm not going to ask you about Mike Gundy. I'm not going to ask you about <laughs> any of these things that, you, that you've been uh, discussing you know, as of late. But I just want to ask you about uh, your career a little bit. I think a lot of people you know, have seen you around, uh, but they may not know the details behind uh, you know, kind of how you came to be. I knew you from the radio. Uh, the world has changed from radio to podcasting in the media world. So uh, j just your start, Bomani, being on radio in North Carolina, what was that like? So the thing is, and it was interesting because my first day full-time on radio, like full-time was on my birthday in 2008. And I had been doing shows on Saturday uh, with my man Shannon and it rolled. Yep. And then I filled in for the summer because the guy that did Afternoon Drive at the time he didn't work summers. Um, and so I filled in for him while he was gone for the summer. And it was like the first, it was the first like, oh, this is a business thing I'd ever dealt with because I did the summer thing and it went over well. And then they offered me a midday job that was like at the time, somebody had that job and I like him. Like I was cool with him, but right. I also did not have a job. So I'm like, well, look, if that's what y'all gonna do. Um, all right, I'll take it. You know, and so I got in and I started doing that. And I'm, so I'm 28 years old. And I mean, sports talk has typically been structured for white guys to talk, talk to each other about the black dudes. Like that's kind of the nature of this, that's like how the medium works. And so now it's me. So I'm younger than most of the people who are listening. I'm not from there. So I'm kind of like getting up to speed and learning things as I go. And I had a ball. Like yeah. I started doing radio and it was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like that's how it felt while also like dealing with a sometimes hostile and antagonistic audience, but also one that very often was like, yo, I love this. Like, I can't <laughs> believe that I like this. Like I used, to, I, I used to have encounters with people who legitimately would struggle to figure out why it is that they enjoyed what I was doing because they could <laughs> not believe themselves that they could like get into what it was that I was doing. It just, it just blew their minds that it was like that. You know, Bomani, I've, I've always admired you from afar because you have this, unique skill set you know how to push it right to the line <laughs> and you know how to toe the line so how did this come about like i've always it's like a gift you have this gift and i i'm, I'm one of your biggest fans because i know you're going to take it there where, where did that come from 
You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was talking to Dan uh, Levitard once. This is years ago about this. And he said something about me being fearless. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not fearless at all. Like, I know exactly what you can't do. Right. And I'm not, you know, and once you get to that place where you can't do it, my question has always been, so how can I do or make the point that I want to make or that needs to be made without like making this into something troublesome? Because I can't do any value if I'm not on the air. Right. Like this is this is important. And so one thing I figured out early, at least in my career and the way that a lot of people received what I did. I didn't have to really do anything contrived in order to get people charged up. Like people get charged <laughs> up just when I show up, right? You know, I could be perfectly reasonable and these people are going to take it as being something that is provocative. Uh, previous president at ESPN told me that once. He was like, wow, you have figured out how to be provocative without actually getting anybody in trouble, right? But truth is truth. And my belief has really always been that if what I am saying is true and not like some personal concept of the truth, right? Like not, so, you know, not, not, not some of that, like three sides to every story type <laughs> stuff, right? Like if something is verifiably true, then I always feel like I'm defended within that. And so what I try as best to do is, it sounds almost counterintuitive because I work in a um, opinion driven space, but I'm sticking to fact literally as much as I possibly can. And so if there's going to be something that really, really makes you upset, it's going to be the truth. And I can't be responsible for that part. And thus far, I found some wood to knock on. But, you know, <laughs> thus far, that's worked out. Yeah, and Bomani, I remember I read an article. I kind of want to talk about just the way the culture has shifted since you started in 2008 in North Carolina in the Triangle, which is, you know, you could say any opinion in that space, and they would see a 28-year-old black man, and that's provocative. You're stirring things up. People were upset. People were calling in. And I remember being an intern at David Glenn, and David Glenn was saying, you know, Bomani is going to be a star over there because – these people, they just want to hear him. They just want to hear Bomani share his truth, right? And you talked about, uh, I remember a GQ article I read. You said that you had written, a, a, I think it was a story about Martin Luther King. And, uh, and the last line you wrote was like, and then the capitalist killed him. Yeah, and, I was like uh, five years old. <laughs> You're like five years old. And uh, <laughs> that's what I mean by like the truth, right? That truth in, in that in that sentence right there, some people would say that was your personal truth back in the day. But now it seems like the zeitgeist, the culture is changing where we all are, uh, are trying to understand that as the truth. And, and how much of a shift has that been? Because it's only been 12 years, but it seems like people want to be a part of that shift. And uh, it's interesting. It, it's, yeah, hard, it's hard to get a read on. Yeah, the thing is, though, the shift has really only been going on for a couple of weeks, and I'm still afraid <laughs> that people are ultimately going to get bored. Like, yep. I think that on some, like, very fundamental concrete things, I think there actually has been a shift. So, like, I think with, like, the police, for example, mm -hmm. there's been a shift there in the ways that people look at these matters. Like, I think that for some reason, this uh, George Floyd really made this land with people. And now after it's landed, like, the thing about – we had it, I guess it was about six years ago after Mike Brown got killed. You know, Trayvon Martin was in 2012, but after Mike Brown, we started really paying more attention to these acts of, you know, violence from the police against the citizens. And more and more of them came up. And I think it got to be like overload for people almost, yeah. right? Like once you realize actually this happens all the time, it got to be a little bit too much. Um, but Mike Brown, we didn't have a video. Like, it was a lot of guessing. It was the hands up, don't shoot, and everything else in the way that that could be manipulated by either side of it. This time, they had a very clear video that was jarring to a lot of people. So then when that happens and you've seen this video, and this is after the Ahmaud Arbery video, which was also very jarring for people. Yeah. But then you get after that what's happened in Atlanta. 
you get after that all the protests and you see like the old man in Buffalo who got pushed down and I think has a skull fracture and stuff like that. Since the George Floyd one landed in a different way, it wasn't like a point of controversy. It hit with everybody. Now these things after it, they're not coming across as overkill to people anymore. They're coming across as evidence, right? They're coming across to reaffirm the idea that there's something um, that needs to be done. And I think it's probably helpful. It's an election year. So people's mind frames are probably already in that place anyway. So to me, it has been somewhat stunning to see white people give a damn, or at least like give the impression of damn giving <laughs> in the way that I have seen in the last three weeks. Cause I mean, I, I had not seen this previously. And I do think that there's a chance that people can make some real things happen working off the momentum that they got in this moment. You know, Bomani, um, you may make some excellent points. Where do you see the, you know, as much talked about, you know, everything that's going on, whether the NBA in particular is going to come back to play, where, where is your take on the coverage? You know, as much been said about, you know, now in particular Kyrie Irving and Dwight Howard, where are you on the stand of how this is being covered, how the coverage in relationship to everything that's going on in the world? there's so much actual NBA stuff to work out, right? Like I can't imagine what it is for you and your job right now, trying to figure out how to get everything right for the players and make sure that everything is safe to make sure that everybody's in a position that they feel like, all right, like I look at what the league itself is trying to do um, in getting back. And I'm like, Ooh, boy, this looks a little bit dicey, right? <laughs> like I am not positive that this thing is going to work. And so we have to start with figuring out whether or not they're actually going to be able to have a league this year, mm -hmm. right? And that's number one. Then after that, I think we start getting to whatever is going on with Kyrie and the plans that he has, right? Yeah. And the difficulty in covering that, if, if what Kyrie seems to be trying to do gets some momentum, the coverage of that's going to be interesting because – it's Kyrie, man. Right? And I've heard people say that, you know, well, don't get caught in the messenger. But the messenger always matters, right? Like, credibility always matters. And I ain't following that dude into no damn revolution, myself personally. But if he's got a point, then it's a point that needs to be listened to. And it's a point that needs to be heard, even if he is Kyrie and has had a rep for saying things that are a little bit, uh, a little bit kooky. Now, I disagree with the idea that basketball being played is going to affect the attention that the larger world is getting. I think that there's a certain measure of arrogance in believing that the NBA is so damn important that it's going to shut down <laughs> when everybody thinks about that. We can't stop, NBA can't get people to stop thinking about a football game, but it's going to get people <laughs> to stop thinking that the world is on fire, right? Like, I just don't, I just don't right. believe that's going to be the case. And I've said this to some people, it's gone like a couple directions in their responses, but like, I almost feel like you're saying something bad about black people in this, right? Like, baseball's about to come back. Nobody's saying that baseball needs to stay so that we can keep attention on what's going on in the streets, right? So, like, why is it that you think that basketball is the one place? I don't see anybody saying that about football necessarily. Like, it's hard for me to separate that. It's hard for me to not think that you're basically saying black people can't walk and chew gum at the same time. That's me. Um, but I think that in sports there's some people who are qualified to talk about the larger issues as they're going on and most people are not because that's not the job they got into it that's not what they got into it for that's not what they trained for like i'm not mm -hmm. judging them for this fact right that's it's a secondary skill for their jobs and most of them do not have it but if this really does keep going we're going to need some people who are good at talking about what's happening outside and what's happening inside at the same time and I think the internet space really for the last 10 years has been very good at that. But I still think the bigger, larger 
mainstream outlets. There are only but so many people who are capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. And and if you, you kind of look at the landscape, Omani, of uh, where it is with the NBA discussions, it's like uh, basketball is seems to be the afterthought every single time. Like when you're on with Levitard and these guys, and you know, we're first we got to talk about coronavirus and COVID nineteen and all the procedures, and then we have to talk about the racial issues, and then we're going to talk about basketball. And you said, you know, not a lot of people are suited for that position, but you are, you know, in my opinion, perfectly suited for that position. In fact, like those are the things that you can talk about and be comfortable. And and, and BJ and I talk about this all the time to be comfortable in the conflict you've always been comfortable in the conflict Dan Levitard I believe is one of those people that likes to be in conflict or is comfortable in conflict so is it nice to have someone there at ESPN a sparring partner that you can go back and forth on these issues where it doesn't feel like you're just talking into the void almost yeah um well to be clear though I don't really have too many like sparring part <laughs> right <laughs> um Dan kind of puts it up on a tee and lets me and lets yeah. me swing right um, yeah. with him. But there are other guys like Dominic Fosworth, for example, is a really good guy yeah. um, to talk to about a lot of these things. Pablo is pretty good at um, at dealing with these sorts of things. Also, like it is helpful, but I do like one thing about it is ain't no whole lot of people trying to get on TV disagreeing with me about stuff. <laughs> like it is, it was funny because I did this show yesterday and we finally found something that people are willing to disagree with me in public on. It's and it's about whether or not, yeah, whether or not yeah. you piss in the shower. Like for the first time, people like bowed out their chest and defended their right to piss in the shower. Right. Um, and they would not let me bully them um, on that matter. They would not. But um, I think right now um, I have to say for uh, my employers, they have really allowed people to explore what's going on in the world right now with a freedom that I don't think that people would necessarily expect. Um, and I'd also note that like nobody said anything crazy. Nobody's gotten in trouble. There's no like big giant controversy that has erupted on Twitter, on the air or anywhere else. You know, and I think part of it, of course, is that we didn't have that many sports to talk about in the first place. So how could we ignore what was happening? But I think we're also in a space now, like especially with these college athletes and the things that they're seeing and doing, it's impossible to ignore these bigger things in the context of sports right now. Like there, there really is no separation between the two. If for no other reason, then I think everything is tied to COVID in one way or another. And you can't separate COVID from sports even a little bit. You know, Bamani, you, you've, you've, uh, you've had your, your finger on the pulse of culture and sports, in particular music. <laughs> Share with us a little bit. I'm a, I'm a huge music man. I'm from Detroit, you know, so right. I, I, I love the music, you know, I love the music. Where do you look at the relationship between sports and in particular this music culture that we all are influenced, the way we dress, the way we talk, right. the way we the way we act and all of those things. Where 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 are you on that on that picture? Yo, it's interesting because, like, it's kind of boring right now how that works, right? Like, everything, I don't want to say, because the music doesn't all sound the same. Like, that is not fair. These kids are all over the place in all the different stuff that they're doing and the way that it's, like, reflected. But kind of what's interesting now to me is, like, people of my age, and I'm kind of in the tail end of this, people my age and people, like, 10 to 20 years older than me, especially with rap, it was a cultural situation. Like it wasn't just like, this is the music that we listen to, or this is what happens to be on the radio, right? Like it was ours. Like I always say now about this current generation, the music they're listening to is music that they inherited, right? Like it's the, it's the music that generally like kind of evolved and they got to it, but they don't feel like an ownership in rap in the way that we felt an ownership in what it was. Like, this is something new. This is us. We are like fighting against 
what came before us and all the all the predispositions that people have about us as young black men in particular we're fighting against all of that so like it was a feeling in the music it was a feeling in the way that we dressed it was a feeling in the way that we talked about things because we were having to assert to people in large part like that like this is what it is now you know and we had to do it i felt like in a much different way and so it's always interesting with sports especially because people want to be ball players and people want to be entertainers, right? Those are the coolest people in every room that you talk about. And they do things we all want to be able to do. Like who doesn't want to, for example, be able to play an instrument or who doesn't want to be able to sing or who doesn't want to be able to play basketball. Like there are people who would think it would be cool to be able to host a radio show, but that's not something that everybody just out there, like listens to me do a radio show and be like, damn, I wish I could do that. But I watch (laughs) NBA players and like, we're all just sitting there like, yo, This is what I want to be able to do. So you get like the interplay between these two groups of people and back and forth. And the influence is there because each group is cool to the other, right? Like each culture finds some element of the other culture to be cool. And then so what we saw was really it took about a 15, 20 year process. But all of a sudden, they all just kind of came together because I feel like basketball in particular, basketball and rap it became a convergence of like <laughs> these two rising forces to where they had such a giant effect on what like everything that everybody did. And part of what's funny about it is, is that while rap was rising and having this cultural impact, the stars of the NBA were overwhelmingly a bunch of dudes who didn't listen to rap. Mm-hmm. Mike ain't listening to rap. Charles <laughs> Barkley ain't listening to rap. You ain't here. You think Carl magic? Malone. Yeah, yeah. You think magic was around there, like listening to rap? Like none of these dudes. Like I think Shaq was really the first dude to hit the league that you really like associated specifically rap with him. Like a first star player that was just like, oh, he was doing rap albums, you know, and all of that stuff. You know, so like you can look at a dude like Larry Johnson or Derek Coleman and you can make some assumptions, right? right. But, 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 the, but all those guys that were coming before, like maybe Danny Manning was listening to rap. Like you think David Robinson was around listening to rap? Brad Doherty? You know, like, like we can go number one picks all the way through the line and be like, oh, I wonder which one of them listened to rap. And it isn't really until like 90 or 91 that you'd be like, yeah, I think he listened to rap. Right, right. Yeah, right. once you get to like Kendall Gill, like the guys in like the late yeah. 1980s or like the Yeah, like you get to maybe. yeah, like you get to Derek Coleman, right? Derek Coleman. <laughs> he, he's like he's he's from Detroit, right? Or is he like Detroit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 he's from Detroit. He's okay. from Yeah, he's from Detroit. I knew it was either yeah. Detroit or Alabama. Like I always get it like like yeah, there's some yeah. like interplay between the two. But no, like Derek Coleman, no, nah, that's a dude that was listening to rap, you know? <laughs> but but like as it was rising though, the dudes like Jordan, it was so crazy in the last dance. You think about it like all the rap that was in like the young Jordan era that we all associate with like wasn't listening to none of that no shade but he's a dude from the south from like wilmington mm-hmm. rap didn't hit like that in 1981 in wilmington north carolina well i gotta ask you what, what are you listening to i got i gotta hear what you listening to you know well before we got on here today <laughs> somehow i wound up going back into like the keith murray archives it's oh the first two keith murray not the most records. beautiful one not the that most beautifulest <laughs> i was on the most beautiful <laughs> no, i'm all over the place like I, so I grew up with music in an interesting way because I used to ride back and forth to school with my mom. Mm. And my mom is a listening to news on the radio type. And I did not grow up anywhere near the people that I went to school with. So like I didn't grow up with music around in the ways that a lot of other people did until I got to be like 12 years old. Except middle school, we started doing like more parties and stuff like that. And people got like more access to their own stuff. 
And so, like, then I started getting in there. So, I was like, this whole, like, swaths of, like, late 80s, early 90s stuff that just misses me because I wasn't, like, immersed in it in the ways, you know, that other people would. But my brother has always been, like, my brother's sister always been really into music. My brother does beats and all of that stuff. My sister was in the band and all that. And so, whenever they were around, they're just older than me. But whenever they were around, I get into what they were into, right? So, like, my brother and my sister are both big Prince fans. So, like, that's the family. The one thing we can all get together around is that uh, we are all Prince fans. <laughs> um, but, you know, then you go and, you, you know, I started getting more and more into stuff like high school, like, I'm from Houston, but I was a late comer to the Southern rap party because my brother was mostly into like East Coast basement like kind of stuff. So like Public Enemy is his mm -hmm. Public Enemy at the time was like his number one out there. But when you start talking about like Red Man, um, he's uh, Mr. <laughs> Keith Murray, like you know Nas, like that wing of things is where he was going. I was big into Wu Tang uh, when I was in high school. Like that was Outcast. Outcast came though and changed my life. Like I had listened to Southern <laughs> Playlisting for the first time and I was like, oh, this is everything. Right, it's like that was the game changer. Um, and then when I got to college, and that's always like that was a different time. So when you get to college in the in the '90s, we we still weren't all listening to the same music, right? Like if right. it was something was going on in one part of the country, it didn't necessarily get to you wherever you were, you know. So like I'm getting to Clark, and I'm talking about UGK, and these dudes who are not from Texas have never heard of UGK, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're not getting played on the radio. They're not getting video play. Like maybe you remember Pocket Full of Stones. So like they're picking that kind of stuff up off of us, but then we're getting out there in the West Coast cats. Like you, you hadn't thought about DJ Quick, maybe since born and raised in Compton, but now they're all on that. So like everything was just kind of swirling and coming together, you know, like you're getting all over the map and then everybody's bringing what their parents listened to that they picked up on. And this is an era of rap where everybody's sampling. So people, we're not just listening to whatever rap is out now. We're now going back and listening to the music that that was made from because we got the ties, you know, to all the samples and stuff. And so then at the end of college, I decided my senior year, I wanted to be a music critic. But I realized if I wanted to do that, I needed to know a lot more about music. And that was when Napster first popped up. Mm. And I would just basically stay up all night downloading literally everything I could <laughs> off of Napster and basically teaching myself about the broader canon of popular music in America. Like I just all of that. And so that's when I started getting into all the rock stuff. Um, and all of that, because I was just like, I need to know more about it. And then I got there and was like, oh, okay, I can do this, right? Like, I wasn't no barriers or walls to it or whatever. So now at this point, you can drive just about anything off in front of me, and I'm there. And the first thing you did, Bomani, with that, right? You were with AOL.com. You were like a critic, right? You were doing like pop culture criticisms. Oh, yeah. I used to do, I had a music <laughs> column for yeah. about a year. Um, yeah, I used to do that. I mean, I was, I, I did, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a music critic. That was mm -hmm. the number one thing I wanted really? to do was write about music. And for a while I did what is borderline impossible, which is I was making a livable wage writing about music. Yep. And then one day I wasn't making a livable wage. <laughs> writing about music. And it's just, it's, it's just so like, it's so much work. I would, when I do stuff about music now, I normally do it for free because I enjoy it that much. But if I have to do it for a living, I can't. It's just it, 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 it's just way too much that winds up uh, coming with it. But no, I've written I've written about music in so many places over the now the last twenty years or so. Right, like I only do it now if I really care. Like if there's really something I want to talk about, then I'll write about it. But I can't just write about music just because somebody you know just to make a buck real quick or something. I just can't do that. You know, Vermont, if, the, if these guys do come back and play, to, to change the subject, if these guys do come back and play in the bubble, who are you picking? 
Dude, great question. <laughs> like, none of us have any idea what this I have is no be idea, like. right? I have no clue. You know what I was you know what I was thinking about? I was talking to some people about this. Uh the NFL had a strike in 1987, and they tried it out strike players, you know, for a few games, and then they brought in, you know, the, the real guys. Right. Two dudes had incredible seasons that year. Reggie White had something like 20-something sacks or something mm -hmm. like that in 12 games. And Jerry Rice scored 22 touchdowns in 12 games in that strike season. And it doesn't take much to understand how and why that happened. Because it's a strike going on. Maybe you working out. Maybe you not, right? It's like some dudes show back up for that 99 lockout, right? Like I always talk about Sean Kemp. But, you know, there's right. some dudes that show up a little sluggish, a little out of shape. Jerry Rice is out there running that damn hill every day because that's just what he does, right? So, like, he was perfectly equipped to return from a work stoppage because he is still working harder than everybody else is and then dominated. Right. I have no idea who's going to be the person who has come back, either did not work hard enough while they were out, or you might be what I worry about with Ben Simmons, where you work too hard, where clearly all this dude's been sitting around doing is like rows and shrugs, and he looks like the <laughs> Hulk. But are you ready to play basketball like that, you know? That's all a fair question. Yeah, it is it's interesting because Harden seems like the guy that everyone wants to talk about. Harden's lost weight. Uh, Giannis people talk about because Giannis didn't have a basketball goal at one point. Uh, but again, like all of this is just fodder. And then we got LeBron, we got the Clippers going at each other. Uh, but Marty, what do you think about Pat Beverly putting out to the world that it was guaranteed they were going to play yeah. because LeBron said, yeah, yeah don't we yeah. all, yeah, we all know yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I appreciated him saying that. Yeah. If the man say we go play, we go play. Like, 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 let's all be honest about this. Do you think LeBron and Chris Paul are going to let Kyrie on his little zoom call mess up everybody's money? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no chance. Like this, this, this is this, this is not how the game goes. I'm like, no, Reggie Beverly's just like, what are you guys talking about? Like, that's the thing about role players in the NBA. They are perfectly aware of who is actually in charge here, mm -hmm. and the guy that actually is in charge here is LeBron James. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they go what way? If they can convince LeBron that they can't play, then maybe they won't play, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing: if LeBron shows up, then we got to leave. Mm -hmm. Like, how many dudes are there that if they don't show up are really going to swing, like individually, would really swing, like, the interest that's in the league? So we could go, like, fairly big on this. If Giannis doesn't show up, okay, that's going to matter, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's a, big, he's a big deal in that way. If Harden or Westbrook doesn't show up, the show still goes on. If they, don't, if they both don't show up, we, we kind of like, hey, something's wrong. But if we just lose <laughs> one of them – all right, whatever. Mm -hmm. Shows, you know, the party going to keep on going. Same with like a Paul George with a Kawhi. Yeah, it's all, it's all like, uh, yeah, it, yeah. Could all, it could all be now, argued out. They are actually, to me, the most interesting team in this whole situation. If we're just talking, talking about, about like the basketball, Clippers. the Clippers, Clippers, yeah. And it's all because Kawhi Leonard, to me, appears to be hurt way more than people want to acknowledge. Like, when people talk about him and the load management – I'm like, I don't think you guys understand what's going on here. They are trying to stop his knee from falling apart, right? Well, now he's had three months off, a three months off that they did not expect for him to have. I don't know for him, like, is that more than is beneficial? Have they been able to do things to, like, get him into a good place? Like, I remember I was talking to somebody 
um, the 2014 finals after it was clear that the Spurs were just going to blow the Heat's doors off. Mm-hmm. And I was in the elevator with somebody who would know things at the arena and were talking to me about Dwayne Wade that year. Remember, that was the year they did all the load management with Wade. He actually had, like, a great year. He shot, like, 55% from the floor, but he only played, like, 60-something games. And they said that by the end, they were like, because the knee was the concern. They are like, oh, no, his knee's fine. Now the problem is everything else. You know, and that's what I look at Kawhi as. is like, so what is his body going to be? Because that team only has a chance to win if he carries them. Mm-hmm. And who, who, who you got? Who, who's coming out of this? <laughs> I am still going with the Lakers. I still think that the Lakers come out of the West. I don't know what to do with the East because I don't know what to do with Milwaukee, which looks like one of the 10 greatest teams of all time that none of us have any actual faith in, (laughs) right? Like, even if you think that they might be able to win it, none of us have, like, faith in them. And the thing I always think about with Milwaukee, and it was really good they got Robin Lopez because that made them a lot better defensively. But something that happened this year that people don't realize is that Brooke Lopez had that anomalous three-point shooting season last year. He's shooting something like 29% from three this year. Like Maybe he found the stroke during quarantine, but do they have enough guys that can make shots? They got two guys that can get shots. Like I'm now sold on Chris Middleton. I was not sold on him before. I am now all the way on board with that. Like I always look at them like, if you need somebody to get you 30, can he get you 30? I think that he can get you 30. Like, Clay Thompson can get 30, but he can't get you 30. I think Chris Middleton can get you 30. Um, but I don't know if the other guys can make enough shots. Mm, wow. You know, recently you guys came out with uh, – or ESPN came out <laughs> with a, a, a top 10 list. Where mm-hmm. are you with this greatest of all time talk? Where – where where are you? Is it really talk or I just want to know, like, you know, like I, I, I love people that I respect. I love hearing their views on this. Yeah, I where don't are get, you with this? Yeah, I don't get super caught up in it. Right. Like Bob Ryan said something many years ago that I thought was the most important thing to remember in these discussions. And it's the game has changed a little bit. But his point was this list has to be centers and non-centers. Right, because the center mattered so much in the game back in the day. Like nobody mattered more than Kareem, Wilton, Bill Russell. Period. Right. Like who who's better than 1971 and 1972, Kareem? The answer is is dude standing on one leg, 18 feet away, throwing hook shots in. Like there's literally no one on earth who could guard him. There was literally no strategy that you could use. And the impact that a center could have in that game was just so great that you have to you, you, you got to put all those guys in their own category, you know, to me. So now when we get to the perimeter dudes, I believe that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, right? I think – I don't want to say it's not close. That I feel like is going too far. What I think is interesting, as good as I think LeBron is, is how many other dudes that we've just decided to skip over completely. Like – Magic Johnson played 12 years and went to the finals nine times. We have completely jumped over that dude. How about this? And this gets forgotten. Magic sat out for four and a half years because he had HIV, came back and off the bench playing power forward, averaged like 15, (laughs) six, and seven. It's the most underrated, incredible thing anybody's ever done in basketball is the Magic Johnson comeback in the mid-90s. And we're sh- are we positive that LeBron's a better basketball player than him? Like, are we sure that he's a better player than Magic Johnson? And that's no shade to LeBron, right? right like, I just, right. I just, I, I can't, 
I can't say that with confidence. Um, I think LeBron is better than Larry Bird, but I think that we've completely forgotten like how good Larry Bird was. You know, we got guys, even when you talk about the centers, we've completely forgotten about Moses Malone. And I went and looked up some Moses Malone clips on YouTube because I'm a little young for Moses. It is the most boring YouTube collection that you will <laughs> ever watch because all it is is Moses Malone banging into people. <laughs> That's it. All night long. <laughs> Throw the ball up there. Bang into you. That dude had a year where he averaged, I want to say, seven offensive rebounds a game. Like, can you imagine how awful it had to be? Like, when you're Kareem and you're starting to get a little bit older, you're like in your early 30s, and now this young dude is just banging into you over and over and over again. Like, there's so many – I guess there's just been so many great basketball players that – even if you call it somebody the fifth greatest player of all time, the margins are so thin, you know? Right. Like, I like to think of it more in clusters. Like, I'm not willing to fight and argue about who these guys are at the time. Like, I was watching some David Robinson clips the other day. We have completely forgotten how good David Robinson was. It's like, it's like he, it's almost like he never played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you know, you make great points. And, you know, Magic Johnson, just going back. So, Magic Johnson's first game, when he did return, I was playing on Golden State, so I oh, really? was I was there when he came back and he gave the pet, you know, the, the pass. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I was there, and he was like, "Well, I didn't forget. It was just, it was like a reminder. It was yeah. like a, like I'm still here." You know? And think about it. He clearly hadn't been working out, right? Like he looked like he looked like he Uncle swole. Magic. Like no muscle definition. He looked like the old, like the dude that used to play guard, and then he shows up for the pickup game and he just sets up in the post. And all right. you gotta do is give him the ball in the post. Y'all do whatever y'all do, and he will make sure that this works out. Yeah. And, and there's another player. So there's another player that Mo because I, you know, I played against Moses and, you know, Moses was going to touch your body. You know, that's when, <laughs> you know, Moses is going to do that. But Akeem Olajuwon was one of the unique players that came through this era because of his quickness and ability to affect the game. And I don't think he gets enough attention put on him. And don't forget about this guy. Well, I'm from Houston, so, you know, I am <laughs> absolutely uh, here to talk about that. I'm not even a Rockets fan, but Elijah Wan, I'm just like, he's that dude. And you can speak to something about Elijah Wan that people have kind of lost sight of, which is that dude was a hothead. Like, Elijah Wan was <laughs> as intense and screaming at refs and, like, all of this stuff. Like, after he went Muslim, everybody just kind of <laughs> sees him as a certain way. But uh, my brother used to know this dude uh, who would go to a lot of the Rockets games back in the day, like young Olajuwon. Right. They say Olajuwon would be out there looking at the ref. Ref make a call Olajuwon don't like. Olajuwon look at him and go, suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's Olajuwon. That's who he was. But you look at those two teams that he took to the championship. Like, I'm working yeah. on a video right now. We've been doing this series on teams that couldn't get past the Bulls, and we're going to do a, a special episode on the Rockets because they're the other right. side of it, right? Mm. And in the videos, there's a breakdown for, like, what the core is of the team. And so I'd list all the different people that played on all these teams. With the Rockets, the core was one man. Mm -hmm. It was Akeem Olajuwon. Like, you're like, why did they win the championships? Because they had Akeem Olajuwon. There's no other real reason that you can point to that well, that collection of players. Here, we Mad would Max. argue. Mad Max. We are oh, Mad Max. Yeah. Hold up. Bomani, that is my guy. That is my guy. Mad he Max is, is, that's a, he so is you, everything. He is every. I saw, I'll never forget this. I went to Kenny Smith's All-Star Party in 2013 in Houston. And I walk in, and Vern's there, right? right. And Vern's there with his backpack on. And I remember I shook my head, and somebody looked at me and was like, wow, what's up? I was like, shit, man. 
now I got to keep my eye on Verd all night. <laughs> don't tell him what Verd might do in this establishment. Like watching Verd and Maxwell, eighty-two games a year could be hilarious. Like there would be. I remember one game. I forget who they played. It was at home. Something happened. They were losing. He was mad, and you just saw him get called for a foul, and it was just abundantly clear that he had decided he was done playing basketball that day. Right, just <laughs> foul and go sit straight down. Don't look at nobody. Just this is all it is. This that's is my, Mad this Max is, is that my guy. that's my guy. We we go back to like college. We were like, believe it or not, it was so we like, and uh, we were at the I want to say the '88 Olympic tryouts, right around there. And somehow I was roommates with David Robinson, and our suite mate, because you know it was like a suite, <laughs> was Mad Max. So you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> the conversation. That, that, that's a, that was a podcast before a podcast. So it's like David Robinson, myself, and Mad Max, <laughs> and like, and, and, and it was Pooh Richardson, right? So you oh, know, wow. so you got wow. Pooh from Philly, you got Mad Max, and we. Uh, it was I love him, and whenever we would play them, I mean he would compete against Michael. I mean he would compete. And the guy was fearless. I love him. We played together one year, and I just love him. I love Hold everything on. about Max. He was ready to fight, Mike. I want to say it oh, was 91. I think it was ready 91. To fight. Max was ready to fight before the game, during the game, <laughs> after the game. But you know what? But it was like a it was a it was a mutual respect. It was a mutual respect. But Max, I, I love I love his spirit, and uh, he and he's fearless. I mean, yeah. Fearless, man. He and, is, uh, but he, he should not be the third best player on a championship team. <laughs> like, the, like in 94, <laughs> the second best player on the championship team was probably Otis Thorpe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, OT. The strongest man on earth. I thought growing Ooh. up that Otis Thorpe was the strongest man that anybody had ever seen ever. He had the biggest hands I've ever imagined. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they that, that was an interesting team around that time, 94, because they had this young kid, Sam Cassell. Mm. who really – I mean, they were playing basically – Akeem Olajuwon, even though he was like 6'10 or so, he was really – it was like small ball because yeah. they would have these all these guards out here and they would play four on the perimeter yep. and been, just drop Akeem in there. And then – but he was so quick. It was like playing small ball even though he was big, but – They were ahead of the game. Like, oh, I think man. people really – when you look – because they started like 22-1 and one that first year. Like, when you look yeah. back at it, they were really ahead of the game in just where – you know, where basketball was being played at that point. So, they're, and they're bringing Sam off the bench, Robert Ory, who was the guy that let you go small and big at the same time, right? Because mm-hmm. he right. could go outside and, you know, he, he could do both of those – both of those things. And they also traded him in the middle of the year then had to take him back. I know. That, that was always that, uh, that was one of the wildest things I've ever seen, right? <laughs> and he was better when he came back though. It was like he was like, yeah. I don't even care anymore, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you something, dude. It, he he needed to go. Like that yeah. was that was one big part of it. When it was time to trade him, it was in fact time for him to go. You'd be out there like, what are you doing? Like he was the consistent, like, why did you throw that ball into the third row? And why don't you look bothered by this? Like, why does everybody have a problem with this but you? Yeah, yeah. That was that was a unique team, unique group. And, oh, and uh, Mario. Forgot about Mario. Super Mario's Mario. the game changer. <laughs> when Mario got there, man, the thing about Mario, this happened when Mario got to the Spurs. Like, Mario is here like no soft allowed. <laughs> he got to the Spurs and said that. We used to always say y'all are soft, and now I'm here, and I'm here to tell you y'all are soft. Right, right. right Boom. Right. That's him. And in Houston, it was a perfect fit to be out there playing with Olajuwon. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Bomani, we could talk about this all day. We want to have you uh, come back and we do it. We can dive into this Houston Rockets team. We had Coach Tom Donovich on uh, earlier, but we want to plug uh, the Right Time with Bomani Jones, the podcast, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Obviously, uh, go check that out. Uh, Bomani, again, we we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we want to talk about basketball as much as we can, especially if we uh, don't get basketball back. We got to oh, have yeah. him back with 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 Mad Max. Yes, I'm with it. I'm totally with it, and I'm gonna yeah. sneak this in since I'm on the way out. Even if Mike had come back in 94, the Rockets would have won a championship. Ooh! Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> Ooh! But no you know what? Okay, they, well, they gave y'all uh, hell. They oh, gave y'all hell. Well, hey, you hey, know hey. I'm right. Well, who, who, you going to come on our show to talk about this, or are we coming on your show we to talk about this? We can do it either way, baby. <laughs> we, we can somehow like, do it together. You know what I mean? Okay, well... You know what? I got some thoughts about that. Well, uh, I, I got some real thoughts. Yeah, we're going to figure this one out because you know what? There's a lot of respect there. I'm going to tell you, that dream shake. <laughs> I'm still a little nervous about that dream shake. I'm still a little nervous about that. You know, dream is... Aren't, aren't you glad you never had to guard that yourself? Oh. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> oh, I had to guard it because I was, I was one of the guys responsible if you know when he did do his thing he was he was a monster no he he was i'm a little nervous about this conversation but i Yo, gotta give me time to get my arguments together because i will uh, i absolutely will and i tell you the one thing i'll say before we go about the dream shake because i wonder if players notice this my favorite dream shake move that he would make is that he could be on the baseline and he would fake like he would take the ball if he if the baseline was to his left mm -hmm. he would take the ball in his right hand and like wave it to the baseline where he could never actually go and then right. run the dude off into the photos and then he turns around and hits a hook shot. Yep. Like you just on a string. <laughs> Man, you, 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 I, I, I'm gonna tell you something. You're making me a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> my, you're making with this conversation here because <laughs> you're making me a little nervous. I gotta go, uh, I gotta go rehearse. I gotta get myself together. Yeah, oh, thought. I I I don't want to think about this. But I don't want to think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Y'all take it easy. All Thanks right, buddy. Okay, All right. be good.